focus is really, really energy expensive. The brain at rest, it's 2% of your body mass, uses 25% of your energy. Focus on top of that is a huge energy drain. You want to try to find ways to conserve energy, to get focus for free. One of the best ways is to make sure that the thing you're trying to focus on, it's aligned with who you are, who you want to become, what you believe is important. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. If you don't know who I am, I am a author, journalist, and founder and executive director of the Flow Research Collective. We study peak human performance. We're a research and a training organization. On the research side, we work with scientists at UCLA, at Stanford, companies like Deloitte, Ojai Energetics, just like that. On the training side, we work with everybody from kind of the U.S. Special Forces through executives in Fortune 500 companies, Accenture, Google, etc., Microsoft, all the way up through the general public. And what we focus on is peak human performance. What does it take to be your best when it matters most? What does it take to level up your game like never before? And most of my career has been spent studying peak performers. What I thought I was going to do today, Vishen asked me to speak a little bit about my work on flow, which we'll get to, some of you might be familiar with, and a little bit about focus. And what I thought I would do is talk about 15 things that peak performers know about focus and attention or routinely do surrounding focus, attention, and flow that most of us miss. And this is something that is fairly common that I've noticed over peak performance, meaning if you want to train people up in flow, for example, you take a group of peak performers and if regular people, everybody can learn the flow stuff. That works fine. But afterwards, the peak performers can sustain it And most everybody else sort of drop back towards baseline over time. And a lot of that is peak performers do a lot of stuff sort of unconsciously along the way, a lot of it involving focus that the rest of us miss. So I thought I would talk about these 15 things. We're going to start out with more general ideas about peak performance and get very, very focused on focus as we move along. So I want to start with a really obvious statement, but you see it very, very consistently in all peak performance, which is a realization that life is never going to be anything more or less than what you choose to make of it. I like to talk about this, and I like to say there are only a couple things we know absolutely for sure that we can absolutely be certain about. The first is that we get one shot at this life. We know that for sure. Maybe we get more, maybe we don't. But we know for sure that we got one shot at this life. We also know we're going to spend about a third of it asleep, which tells us that the only real question is what we do with the remaining two-thirds, right? That's the only question that matters. And what peak performers have figured out is that there's no magic pill, nothing spectacular is ever going to happen from them. I was just talking to Andrew Huberman, who's a neuroscientist at Stanford, who we do a lot of work with, and he says, every peak performer learns the same lesson. It is always crawl, walk, run. There's no shortcuts. There's no way to get faster. You are going to crawl, then you are going to walk, then you are going to run over and over and over again. This brings us to the second thing, which is building on the first, 
there are no shortcuts. There are no hacks. In fact, when we talk about peak performance, after 25 years of studying the neurobiology, the science of what goes on in the brain and the body when people perform at their best, I can tell you there are no shortcuts. There is quite simply getting your biology to work for you rather than against you. That is everything we mean by peak performance. A different way we sort of talk about this at the Flow Research Collective is we like to say personality doesn't scale, biology scales. In other words, if you're in the looking through the kind of self-improvement space at any level, if somebody is trying to teach you what worked for them, they figured something out, this works for me, let me teach it to you, it's going to work for you, they're lying. They're absolutely lying. In fact, that's a really great way to ruin lives. I can guarantee you one of the other truths of peak performance that we don't like to say out loud is what works for me is almost guaranteed not to work for you. Personality doesn't scale. Why? There are foundational things that have a lot to do with peak performance, where you are on the introversion to extroversion scale, for example. How active are your dopamine receptors? Things like that. They are genetically coded for and laid down environmentally, and a lot of them are locked up before we ever become adults. Everybody is individual at that level. Thus, what works for me is not going to work for you. Biology scales. Biology is the only thing that has been built for everyone. So biology is where we turn to for peak performance. And the next thing that every peak performer knows is peak performance always starts with attention and focus. So one of my great heroes is the philosopher and psychologist William James. He taught at Harvard. He wrote the foundational book on psychology. And the book opens with a chapter on habit and attention. And he thinks those two levers, habit and attention, are the biggest levers we have to achieve peak performance. And he points out that reality, what we call reality, is nothing more or less than whatever you agree to attend to. If you are lending your attention to it, it exists for you. And to put this neurobiologically, we now know, not only was James right, he's right at an incredible level. So there's a guy named Marvin Zimmerman, a neuroscientist, who about 20, 25 years ago, he measured how much data is coming through every one of our senses. And what he figured out is that on a moment-by-moment basis, our senses gather about 11 million bits of data. But what you call reality, consciousness, it's only about 2,000 bits. So you get this massive shrinking down to what actually makes up your reality. And those 2,000 bits, most of it is governed by things we're scared of or our goals. And everything else that gets through that's not fears or goals is attention. What you choose to put your attention on, these are the building blocks of your reality, your fears, your goals, and where you put your attention. Now. As you know, anybody who's tried to learn to meditate, practice mindfulness and being that this is Mind Valley, I'm assuming that's most of you, you have learned the same lesson everybody who tries to practice mindfulness learns, which is the mind is a beast. Attention is a beast, right? It is our most powerful tool, but it is very, very hard to wield. It is very hard to muscle your way through, right? Like one of the reasons we talk about it as mindfulness is you are minding the mind, right? You're just watching what's going on in the mind. If you were trying to control what's going on in the mind, you would get your ass kicked. The only way you can learn to control it is to 
kind of mind the mind over long stretches of time and try to train your brain into focus, right? Why? Because focus and attention is a riot. So peak performers understand this foundationally, and so they don't go at attention head on. Certainly, they'll train mindfulness. Certainly, they'll practice focus. But there's a lot of other things they do. Before I can get in there, I have to talk about one more thing, which is when we talk about focus and attention and things like deep work and why we're really talking about this. Everybody wants to improve their lives. So what does it mean on a daily basis? What the research shows is if you really want peak performance, you need to be doing your hardest work during 90 to 120 minute blocks of uninterrupted concentration. Now. These are biological blocks of concentration. The brain is built to focus for about 90-minute blocks. In fact, that's the same reason we dream. REM sleep is 90-minute blocks. The brain tends to do the same thing over and over and over again. So these 90-minute blocks, that's sort of what we evolved to pay attention to for. Perhaps it's because when we discovered fruit trees that were really laden with fruit as we were wandering around the belt, it took 90 minutes to find them and get them. Who knows what the evolutionary reason is, but that's what the research shows. So you got to learn, if you really want to maximize performance, we'll talk about all the reasons why, we'll come back to this idea again and again, 90 to 120 minutes. That's the wrestling match, right? To make it slightly worse, if you plan on doing something creative, what the research shows then is you may need as much as a four-hour block of uninterrupted concentration. This is talked about in the entrepreneurial community as a maker's schedule versus a manager's schedule, right? A manager's schedule is broken up into five-minute blocks of, I'm going to talk on the phone really quickly, and then I'm going to talk to this guy over here, and then I'm going to send an email, and blah, blah, blah. That's the manager's schedule, right? And we all know that that man or that woman and people who live their lives that way. The maker's schedule is huge blocks of periods for uninterrupted concentration, deep work, as Cal Newport likes to say, or deep focus. If you've enjoyed this podcast, consider joining Mindvalley All Access. Now you can sign up to Mindvalley All Access and unlock every Mindvalley program instantly. Get access to transformation from all of the world's best minds in everything from parenting to biohacking to mind, body, spirit, entrepreneurship, work productivity. Learn from the likes of Ben Greenfield, Jim Quick, Shafali Sabari, Stephen Kotler, and more. All available to you for less than $2 a day. Simply visit mindvalley.com forward slash now. That's mindvalley.com forward slash N-O-W. And you'll be surprised to see that Mindvalley All Access now comes with advanced technologies to completely transform your learning, your networks, and your human connections, including our new private social network for students, Connections by Mindvalley, and our altered state inducement app, Ombana, which complements our regular training with altered state methodologies to transform you at a subconscious level. Check it all out on mindvalley.com forward slash N-O-W. Mindvalley.com forward slash now. Now that we've talked about what you need to maximize performance, let's talk about what peak performers do to shortcut their way into attention. Where we started is, unless you really want to sit in meditation for years on end to train up that focus skill, you want to find other ways to get your biology to work for you rather than against you. And the first way, the place it starts, is with what is known in economics as match quality. If you've read David Epstein's book, fantastic book, Range, you're familiar with this term. Match quality basically says that if you look at peak performers, 
there is a really tight match between the work they do, their personality, and their values. That's match quality. And in fact, when you look at peak performance, even though we've all heard the rumors about early specialization, right? Tiger Woods started playing golf at two months old and blah, blah, blah. That's the way to peak performance, and that's not actually true. What the research shows consistently is that the fastest way from A to B, if you're interested in peak performance, is a zigzag approach. There is always a long sampling period at the front end of every peak performer's life where they were testing different things out, looking for that perfect match quality. Why? Because when we have match quality, focus comes for free. You don't have to work so hard to pay attention to the shit you're trying to pay attention to. Focus is really, really energy expensive. The brain at rest, it's 2% of your body mass, uses 25% of your energy. Focus on top of that is a huge energy drain. You want to try to find ways to conserve energy, to get focus for free. One of the best ways is to make sure that the thing you're trying to focus on, it's aligned with who you are, who you want to become, what you believe is important, et cetera, et cetera. The next level down from this, if you've taken my class with Mind Valley, we talk a lot about this, which is stacking intrinsic motivation, right? When you're trying to look for what to focus on, you want to make sure that the object of your focus is at the long chain of a bunch of intrinsic, meaning internal to the body, motivators. Extrinsic, meaning external to the body, motivators are things like money and sex and fame. Internal motivator is like the reward of a job well done, passion, curiosity. These are all internal motivators. So the big five internal motivators that peak performers try to stack so they can get focused for free, curiosity, which if you can amplify it up, can become passion. If you can detach your passion to a cause that is greater than yourself and outside yourself, it becomes purpose. Once you have your purpose, you need autonomy, control of your own life and of your own schedule so you can go after that purpose. And then on the back end of having your autonomy, you need mastery, the drive to get better and better at the skills you need to achieve that purpose. Or essentially, what do you practice on it during these periods of time during autonomy? In other words, they find match quality, then they stack intrinsic motivators in a tight stack. All these things. Think about if you're curious about a subject, how much less work it is to pay attention to what you're trying to pay attention to, right? Think about passion. Think about romantic love. Romantic love neurobiologically is another version of passion. It's the same thing. When you are falling in love with somebody, you can't stop thinking about them. You can't not pay attention to them, right? And these are just two. You add in purpose, right? We all know how powerful purpose is for meaning and life satisfaction and all those things. We pay a ton of attention, et cetera, et cetera. So they try to stack up intrinsic motivators to get focus for free. The next thing they do is they understand proper goal-setting technique. So goals are other ways of framing problems and driving focus, and they're also ways of saying no's to things. And I'll come back to that in half a second, but in peak performance, you usually see a triple stack of goals. At the top level, you see what Peter Diamandis, myself, Salim Ismail have dubbed massively transformative purposes. Right? This is the overarching mission statement for your life. I want to write books that change the universe, whatever the hell it is for you. Then you have your high hard goals. High hard goals are all the substeps you'll need to achieve. So if you want to write books that change the universe, this would be go to school and get a degree in creative writing. 
take an internship at a newspaper, begin your first book, write, write your first book, whatever those steps are, those are your high, hard goals. And then you, on a daily basis, you need what are known as clear goals. Clear goals are action plans. It's a to-do list for the day. And it's very, very specific. Clear goals is a precise term. When you say this out loud, especially to Westerners, they hear goals and they miss clear, right? They focus on the end result. Oh, I got to do this thing or get this thing. And they miss the clear. The point is the clarity. So for example, a clear goal is not, as a writer, I want to write a good chapter. That's not a clear goal. Clear goal is I want to write 500 words that make my readers feel excited. Or I want to write 700 words that make my readers feel sad. That's a clear goal. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know how to declare victory when it's gone. You see this triple stacking of goals. And what you tend to see is a, a winnowing. For example, my massively transformative purpose, I got three different items that sit in there. To accomplish those items, I do six things on a daily basis, nothing else right? I don't do anything else. It becomes a filter for my life. And you see this again and again with peak performers. No other reason than it gives you focus for free. You're lower in cognitive load. You're not having to make decisions. You already know what is a yes, what is a no, and you know what you're going to do every day. Again, you're getting focus for free. Clear goals also takes us to the second half of the discussion, which is the heart about flow. Now, I think most of you guys are familiar with my work, so you're going to know what flow is. But for those of you who don't know what it is, flow is defined scientifically as an optimal state of consciousness, one where we feel our best and we perform our best. More specifically, it refers to any of those moments of rapt attention, total absorption. When you get so focused on what you're doing, everything else just seems to vanish. Time will speed up or slow down. Five hours will go by in like five minutes. Or sometimes you get a freeze frame effect and maybe even a car crash. And throughout all aspects of performance, both mental and physical, will go through the roof. And through the roof is an accurate term. We now know that flow amplifies motivation and productivity, innovation and creativity. It accelerates learning rates. It amplifies empathy ecological awareness or environmental awareness, which is your ability to perceive the natural world, collaboration, communication, etc. whole slew of skills, and they all go through the roof, sometimes 500 to 700% boost in these skills when you're in flow. That's the big definition of flow. The more important thing to this discussion is flow states have triggers. You want more flow in your life, you want to be playing with these flow triggers. Trigger is nothing more than a precondition that leads to more flow. And more importantly, flow follows focus. It only shows up when all of our attention is in the right here, right now. So complete focus in the present moment on the task at hand is the gateway into flow. And when we talk about flow triggers, there are 22 in total. There are 12 individuals that'll drive me into flow or you into flow. And then there are 10 that are group triggers. They drive an entire group of people into what's known as group flow. So you've ever taken part in a brainstorming session or seen a fourth quarter comeback in sport. Those are examples of, of group flow in action or when a band comes together and the level of performance just soars. That's group flow. All these triggers work by driving attention to the now. And they actually do this one of three ways. Neurobiologically, they either drive dopamine or norepinephrine, which are both neurochemicals. They're pleasure chemicals. They do a lot of things in the brain, but they also massively enhance focus and flow. In fact, we earlier talked about romantic love. Romantic love is nothing more than the cocktail of dopamine and norepinephrine. If you're curious about this, this is not my work. This is Helen Fisher's work at Rutgers. You can check Why We Love. It's a great book. Okay. 
So flow states have triggers, they drive dopamine, they drive norepinephrine, or they lower cognitive load, which is the final component. Cognitive load's all the crap we're trying to pay attention to at any one time. And if I lower cognitive load, I liberate more energy that you can repurpose for, guess what? Attention. So flow triggers do one of these three things. Clear goals is a flow trigger. And it is usually where we start training people into flow. We tell them to finish your day by coming up with a clear goal list for your next day. Start with your hardest, most important task and go down. Figure out how many tasks you can do in a day and still be your best at it. And that's what your clear goal list is. So you can be great at eight things over the course of a day. And I mean, everything you do goes onto the list. So that doesn't just include my work tasks. If I got to walk the dogs, if I want to meditate, if I want to go into the sauna and get some active recovery, all that stuff goes on. My day goes onto my list. So it's a checklist. I go from one to the next, to the next, to the next. So I know exactly what I'm focusing on. Clear goals, lower cognitive load, right? I've exported my to-do list out of my brain. I don't have to wonder about it. And I don't have to wonder even when I'm done because I look down, oh, 500 words that makes the reader feel sad. Okay, cool. Am I done? I'm done. Check, right? Lowers cognitive load, frees up a lot more energy for attention. And by the way, complete concentration, another flow trigger. What does the data show? 90 to 120 minutes of uninterrupted concentration is the best for maximizing flow. So you've got your clear goals list and how much you spend on your most important goals, your highest heart goals. There you have it, 90 to 120 minutes, because that's how much we can focus for. That's at the top. Also, how do you protect that 90 to 120 minute period that you need for uninterrupted focus? You see this all the time in peak performers. They practice distraction management actively. I end my day. I write up my clear goal list for the next day, and then I shut down anything that could distract me in the morning because I get up and I go straight to my desk and I start writing. I get up really early when I do this and everything that could distract me, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or messages, everything's turned off, unplugged. I don't even turn the lights on my office and I write in focus view. So all I see is the white page and the words. There's nothing else around, no phone calls, no anything. That's my uninterrupted concentration period. I practice distraction management. And for those of you who have children who have husbands and wives and bosses have your conversations ahead of time this is also really important tell these people what you're doing hey i'm going to maximize performance my motivation productivity is going to go through the roof i'll have more time for you on the back end as a result of this but leave me the frick alone for the next 90 and 20 minutes so i can get my shit done right have your conversations ahead of time it's really important a couple other things that i want to talk about there are always going to be days when you can't focus, right? When your tension is all over the place. In fact, you see this often on the back end of a flow state. You'll get in a big flow state, have a great focus session. The next day, because flow is neurobiologically expensive, you've got less focusing neurochemicals in your brain and your attention is flying all over the place. You can't fight attention. This is what we learned from mindfulness. It doesn't work that way, but you can work with your distractions. So you peak performers will routinely let themselves be distracted, but find distractions that move them towards their goal. So for example, if I'm trying to write and my brain's all over the place, I need distraction, I can't focus, but I'll read first paragraphs from a hundred of the greatest magazine articles ever written. And sooner or later, one of them, right, I'm distracting myself, right, 
but it's going to excite me. I'm going to see something in the writing that goes, oh, that's cool. I want to try that. And suddenly I'm into my writing and my distraction problem is gone. Why? Because that little bit of excitement gave me a little bit of dopamine, gave me a little bit of norepinephrine and helped me focus more. So you can use your distractibility as your friend. Work with it. You can't fight it. It's often too big to fight. You just want to point it in the direction you want to go and ride it in that direction. You see that a lot. Next up, flow's most important trigger is known as the challenge skills balance. The idea here is we pay the most attention to the task at hand when the challenge of the task slightly exceeds our skill set. So you want to stretch but not snap, right? You want to always be in a situation where you're a little outside your comfort zone. Why? Because you're getting focused for free. You're a little uncomfortable. You're a little edgy. You're a little nervous, right? What do we do when we're a little edgy? We're a little nervous. We pay more attention. It happens automatically. So if you're constantly pushing, right? So earlier I said, write 500 words. Well, I was talking about my clear goal for the day. Write 500 words that makes the reader feel sad, for example. Why 500 words? Well, it turns out that on any given day, at any given time, I can probably write about 350 words, which is roughly like one idea. It's one concept. So if you read a Stephen Kotler book, that's about what it takes for me to kind of deliver one coherent thing. And then I have to, at 350 words, you have to do a transition to the next idea. Transitions are like hell for writers, the hardest thing to do. So 500 words means I'm outside my comfort zone. I'm stretching a little bit farther but not too far, right? And by the way, that's just at the beginning of the book. When it's the middle of the book and I know sort of what I'm doing, it's 750 words a day and then 1,000 at the end of the book. So I make it a moving target. So I stay in this challenge skills sweet spot, slightly outside my comfort zone because I'm getting focused for free. Two final things. This leads us to the second most important thing. And I really... There was an order to this process. I started with match quality. Then we talked about intrinsic motivators. Then we talked about really basic flow triggers to marshal attention. Once all that stuff is dialed in, once you're getting flow on a regular basis, flow is a really big high. It sort of cements all these patterns. It gives us a stabler foundation. Once you've got that, then you can start to make the master move. This also is something I talk a little about in the class I did for Mind Valley, which is you can start to use fear, not just anxiety, but actual fear as a compass, as a driver. Fear, real deep fear, gives you a lot of focus for free. So what you see peak performers do is when they are faced with a, what am I going to do next challenge? Like, I need a new challenge. I want to blah, blah, blah. What am I going to do next? They look for the thing that scares them the most. So every one of my books there's a writing challenge built into the book that you don't know about, the reader never sees, but there's stuff that scares me. Bold. My challenge there was every business book I'd ever read sucks. They're boring. They have crappy storytelling. There's no style in the writing. There's no actual writer anything in there. And the knowledge is all very not science-based. It's all personality-based. Oh, I think this worked for me. I didn't like it. So I wanted to write a business book that doesn't suck. It was a really big challenge as a writer. You guys never knew about it as readers, but it scared the hell out of me, right? Lots of smart people have tried to write business books. It's not that these people are dumb. It's that it's really hard to do this well. So it's a scary challenge. Really useful. Every one of my books has that kind of thing built in. I go at the thing that I'm most afraid of. I use fear as a compass. And so do every top peak performance because it marshals attention for you. And the final thing I want to tell you is that when we study flow, people tend to have what we call their primary flow activity. 
it's usually whatever that thing you did as a kid. Maybe it was dancing to hip hop. Maybe it was skiing. Maybe it was breakdancing. Maybe it was roller skating. Doesn't matter. Take your pick. Maybe it was writing. Maybe it was painting, theater, whatever it was. It almost automatically produced flow. For me, it was skiing. And when I talk about this, I say, when I go skiing, 80 to 90% chance on any given day, I'm going to drop into a very deep flow state, right? It's primary flow activity. It's packed with flow triggers and it really works for me because there's a model of match quality. All my intrinsic motivators are lined up. Everything's right. Lots of flow. Writing, I get flow 60 to 70% of the time, right? Hell of a lot better than most people probably as a good average, but it's not my primary flow activity. When we get busy, when we become adults, when we have kids, when we have jobs, when we have wives and lives and things that matter, the thing that tends to get shuffled out is your primary flow activity. You stop doing that thing. Now, this is problematic for a couple reasons. One, flow is actually a kind of focusing skill. It's a very particular focusing skill. And like any other brain skill, the more flow you get, the more flow you get. So in other words, if you go skiing four hours a week, and get into a deep flow state, you're not just getting into flow then and with all the psychological and emotional and benefits of flow itself and the health benefits, et cetera, et cetera. You're training the brain to get more into flow when you go to work. You're training the brain to get more into flow when you're arguing with your kids and they're driving you crazy and you're trying to find, right? Like that transfers. In fact, even better, the heightened creativity that shows up in flow, and it's depending on whose numbers you go by, it's like 400 to 700%. A woman named Teresa Mobled, who's at Harvard, found that that heightened creativity can outlast the flow state by a day, maybe two. So you may have a two-hour flow state, but that heightened creativity, that innovation, right, creative problem-solving, you're going to get in flow, it's going to last a couple of days. So bonus time for that. But really, when it comes to the focusing skill, you don't want to walk away from your primary flow activity because it's so easy to drop into flow doing it because everything's already lined up for you and you're training the brain to focus. So these are 15 things that I think most peak performers, either they know it, they've actually done the research and they've done the homework and they know the actual facts or they do these things automatically. Why do they do them automatically? Because it's all biological. All these things that I've been talking about today, this is your biology. So anybody who's going to be performing at their best has to be leveraging the same biology. So peak performers tend to do a lot of this stuff naturally. Earlier, when I said, hey, when I train up a group of people in flow, you see that the peak performers, everybody, by the way, we measure flow pre and post when we do our trainings. We see a 70 to 80% increase in flow across the board in everyone. It's remarkably easy to train. A lot of people return to baseline. And it's a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about today. It's not a flow problem. It's a God, I don't have my intrinsic motivation stuff stacked up properly. And as a result, you end up fighting grit battles or focus battles when you could actually just be fighting a performance battle instead. So get your biology to work for you rather than against you is the moral of the story. I think we just had a walkthrough by Kiko, the great polar bear, right? If you haven't seen it before, the only reference I have for Kiko in the real world is the polar bear from Lost. And yes, he does, he does look about that size and that big. Anyways, that's what I got for you today. I'm Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast.
If you like the Mind Valley podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body, your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.